Welcome to Taking a Walk, an excursion to converse, connect, and catch up at a cool location with some of the most interesting people you can find. Here's Buzz Knight. Taking a walk is an amazing journey, no matter where you take it and no matter who your co-pilot is. As the Vietnamese monk Teach Nhat Han says in his journal, How to Walk, when we walk with others, the collective energy of mindfulness we generate is very powerful. It helps heal everyone. When we walk together, producing the energy of mindfulness, going home to the here and the now, we can feel paradise right under our feet. You can see the paradise all around you. I'm Buzz Knight, and today on Taking a Walk, I'm excited to explore an area of Boston, believe it or not, I've never adventured to, with someone who was on an incredible adventure of their own. I'm here at the historic Lower Mills Industrial District, which borders Dorchester and Milton, just on the outskirts of the city of Boston. This is a historic area located on both sides of the Neponset River, an area with its own stories to tell about Native American inhabitants, early settlers, chocolate factories, and more. I'm about to take a walk with a woman who has her own story to tell. Tato Mawosa is a Botswana-American writer, director, illustrator, playwright, educator, and game inventor. She has amazing film credits going back to 2005 with her short film, Don't Leave Me. There is an incredible buzz about her latest feature film called Memoirs of a Black Girl. I heard her story on the radio some weeks ago, and I was fascinated by her story, her storytelling, her creative drive, and her many collaborations. I'm excited to be taking a walk at Lower Mills with Tato Mawosa. Tato, it's so nice to meet you. I appreciate you uh, taking a walk. Oh, thank you so much. This is awesome. I like uh, taking walks, and I love walking and talking and making new friends. So it's, thanks for the invitation. This is so great. We're at such a beautiful, beautiful day, and we're at Lower Mills. Do you uh, take a walk in this vicinity from time to time? Yes. Uh, I love the park. Uh, they just built it a couple of years ago. Um, that's where we bike. That's where we run. It's a long path that connects uh, Milton to Marapan, um, and it, it goes along the trail. Um, so it's a wonderful kind of nature walk, and you feel like you are not in the city because there's a lot of uh, green space in there. The hot story. Uh, this is how I first heard about you. Was memoirs of a black girl, which is getting uh, great. Uh, buzz and reviews and you must be just terribly excited about how that's going so let's talk about your projects starting with memoirs yeah um so what do you want to know about memoirs well tell me first of all um how long the process was mm -hmm. from start to finish the creative process mm -hmm. the casting just uh, everything that went into the work yeah so um Memoirs, uh, first of all, Memoirs is about, it's a, it's a coming-of-age film that focuses on a young black girl. Her name is Aisha Johnson. And Aisha is up for a prestigious scholarship, um, but a decision she makes uh, changes her life dr drastically, and she has to learn to survive uh, in the hallways of Dudley High. 
um, and also on the streets of Roxbury. So that's essentially what the, the film is about. I wrote it when I was teaching at Madison Park in Roxbury. Um, I had been teaching there for maybe five years as a film teacher. And one of the things that I do as a, uh, as a film teacher, because we spend a lot of time in the classroom, is a vocational school. So which means the students are with me sometimes for seven hours in the classroom. So I have to figure out the way to make them create stuff, but we have enough opportunity to watch stuff as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of um, movies, analyze movies, because they're creating movies. So I found that I was running out of things to, uh, that interest my students because they, and I think the root of the problem was they did not see themselves reflected uh, on the screen. So if I'm bringing a coming of age story uh, that is set in a suburb or that is set in a world that they are not familiar with, they would watch it, but quickly lose interest because yep. it's not their issues. They don't relate. The people don't look like them. So I found that there was actually very few coming of age stories that are set in inner cities, especially in inner city um, high schools. So that's when I noticed that I started to think about what maybe that's opportunity to actually create a story for them because I'm a filmmaker after all. And I've learned that if you don't see a movie that you like to watch on the screen, you make it. Just like if you don't see a book that you like to read, <laughs> you write it. So I decided, and at that point I had not written a feature. I've done shots. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make a feature. So I wrote it and it took a while. It took probably four years of writing. Um, not writing nonstop, but sort of writing, looking at it, forgetting about it, coming back to it because I, I still came back to it. I'll write other stuff and I'll come back to it because I love the story and I think it was necessary. So eventually I got into this program, the MFA program at Leslie um, for creative writing, where they actually teach you how to write screenplays. And um, when I came in, I said, my biggest thing is like, I don't, I can write a short film. That is just my comfort. But I don't know how to write a feature film. I, it's just so, it's, it's so overwhelming for me. And I was able to get some training and um, tools on how to, like strategies, how to kind of um, write a feature screenplay. And I went back to it, then I worked on it. Um, were there moments it, that you just said, I hate this, I can't really deal with this, <laughs> that, you, are you, that you were so frustrated with it or that you were yeah. blocked on it, that happened? Yes, yeah. yes. So, what did you, know, you do then to break that? You know, like with uh, artists as well, you fall out of, like sometimes you're painting or you're writing and you're like, oh, this sucks, right? <laughs> right. And whenever you feel like something sucks, you put it away. But then months later, you come back to it and you look at it with fresh eyes and then it makes sense to you and then maybe somehow something sparks. So yes, I've, I mean, even now I go through watching this film and I'm like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> I don't want to say this, 
but it's like or you would do something different or whatever exactly yeah. artists are very hard on themselves i bet you even basquier or monet if they were to look at their paintings they will find something uh, that they can fix i cannot help myself i cannot watch the film right now because i have to like step away just because i there's so many things i could have done better i've um but i'm that way and that's no how you're what, wired yeah. yes <laughs> i'm wired that way so anyway um yeah i've i i fall out of and because i think what it is is when you're stuck you start to hate something because we get stuck as artists right you get to get to a point where something makes sense and then it just something doesn't click and you're trying to figure out but we can't um and i've learned to leave it alone let it marinate uh step away from it another thing is to bring in somebody else who will look at it uh give it um a new perspective and they can maybe see something that you haven't seen from a different perspective so i've learned that even workshopping or sharing with friends may just help um uh with the process of your creation mm-hmm. um yeah so to answer your question many times that's why it took about four years because there were moments where i was like hey i cannot do this i don't know um if i got it right i so back yeah. to those other collaborators that you mentioned i think that's mm-hmm. a really important point to highlight in the creative process because it, it can be i'm sure from your perspective a very solo you know lonely process when you're working something and then you get frustrated and then you have to take that step back and really mm-hmm. you know put it away for a while so how do you choose or feel confident that a certain collaborator can lend that help and different perspective um what i've done over the past couple of years is because I, i i went to a program where we i was in um in session with a lot of writers and we kept in touch to help each other because we all go through this. So what I meshed from that uh, training was the networking and we started to create our own groups, our own feedback because after college, uh, when you're in college, it's formal. You have workshopping, you workshop, like you bring your script, that's your day, everybody pitches in. But then after we graduated, we're like, when are we gonna get the opportunity to do this? Because workshopping is really good. So we, I'm part of three writing groups. So I'm, I'm part of three writing groups and that's what we, we share. Um, whenever something comes up, we're like, hey, do you mind if we have like an hour to read this? I wanna just, and then these are my questions. And then we spend that hour, okay. you know. So it's uh, form. It's a formal uh, series of groups. Really, but it's mostly just friends coming together, helping each other because mm-hmm. we're all writers. Um, and I think it is it is important because to write solo and not get any any uh, and you know like I always feel like writers are actually not your best people to go to, right? Writers are great in maybe helping you with structure or development of characters you know they're great for that kind of stuff but we don't write for writers we write for the audience so for memoirs for example i actually had my students read it several times 
and then they picked up some stuff and they're like oh i don't talk like this i would say it this way and then when, as soon as they say i'll say it this way i'll write it down and correct it because i feel like it's it is important to have writers like people that are tech technical technic technically writers to help you but it's even more important to actually have your audience to uh, read your your thing just like a film has like a test audience um a book you work with an editor but i think it's important to have other people that are i call them uh i i was listening to a master class by one of the screenwriters what's his name so he called civilians he's like civilians i was like oh that is so funny <laughs> he's like i'll go to a civilian and have him read my screenplay and i cracked up because i i don't know like normal people like your audience like your potential audience so, yeah like a real unscreened focus group exactly rather exactly. than a screen focus people that group. are not going to be too hung up on the technical but they're going to have be hung up on maybe the emotion of the story or whether they get it like what's important for them i think that we can go either straight yeah uh, we'll go straight and then mm -hmm. up right yeah, yeah. so that's that fascinating that you pen. okay and that way was dorchester i actually like the matter pen because it's much more very green um once you get into like past the light and you get into this like there's a water thing I'm just looking at the sign here. Mm -hmm. It says about that there was a, something called the Baker Chocolate Company that used to be here. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The Ponset River is home to the first chocolate mill in America. Oh. I have to think that if it were still up and running, mm -hmm. that uh, we would be smelling chocolate <laughs> right oh, we'll now. We'll be in the factory right now. <laughs> yeah, we would be in there, yeah. I'll be in there. We'd be sure. workshopping in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's great, too, that you had your students involved because mm -hmm. to get that collaboration from those those brilliant minds there uh, is pretty cool, you know? Yeah. Thing. It's been doing well, and I think uh, Pan-African Film Festival is where we got interest from distributors right away. That was our first festival, and right away we started uh, talking to distributors. So To think, too, that you probably received some interesting uh, inquiries or uh, incoming from people around uh, the film industry during all of this? Yeah, I mean, I've had um, talks with a couple of people uh, that reached out. So right now, um, with the film industry, they actually, when they have interest, it's not about the current film, it's about what's next for you. Got it. <laughs> so, Got it. So I'm already looking forward because I have a screenplay that I wrote um, called a blue dawn that's set in Botswana so that's the kind of conversations I'm having uh, with the potential uh, uh, producers mm -hmm. so that's that right now we're just looking ahead but I'm also kind of doing the promotional tour of the memoirs of the black girl oh boy that's that's mm -hmm. so that's so exciting it's a whirlwind for you um, and um, in the midst of all this, so you're teaching regularly at Emerson and also in, in Brookline, is that correct? Yes. So I have two jobs, teaching uh, film, and uh, I teach visual media arts at Emerson, which is a class, is a foundational class. 
that includes filmmaking, photography, graphic design. So they get to be introduced to different mediums. Uh, at uh, Brookline, I teach primarily filmmaking and TV production, documentary filmmaking. And you have, uh, you know, some things that you can always uh, bring them in on, whether it be a new project, so you've got to tap the minds there, but you also have so many multidimensional aspects of your work, your, your artwork, which mm -hmm. is beautiful and, and just so uh, impactful. Mm -hmm. And also, um, you created a game, too. Tell us about that. So Sawa Trivia is the first African trivia card game. It came about when my husband and I were looking for a game uh, to play that is that taps into our African culture. And we found out that there's no real games out there at the time. Um, and we were looking primarily to do like trivia. Um, so when we Googled, we figured out that there's nothing. <laughs> um, and I'm such a creative that whenever I find that there is, um, there's a lack, I want to create it. <laughs> yep. Just like the film and, the, and also the book, uh, which we can talk about later. Um, I just, I see an opportunity where there's lack. And I'm like, okay, so no one ever thought to do like a trivia game. It is important for us Africans to somehow conserve our culture and also um, educate people about our culture and be in control of it, um, be in control of that narrative um, and promote the positive stories from Africa. That was the point of the game, like just to promote Africa in a positive way. Uh, so we, had, we have different categories. Uh, we have geography, politics, entertainment, movies, uh, music, um, business, I think it's like five categories. Business? I, I'm missing something. Yeah, so we have all these categories. Um, and one of the things that when we were creating the game, especially when we did the business part of it, we were surprised with, about the, the innovation that's going on in Africa because I've been here for 24 years. My husband has been here for longer. Um, and somehow we didn't know that there were hybrid cars being developed in Africa that are on the road, that are commercial, that you can buy, African-made cars. We didn't know that there were smartphones that are being developed in Africa that are being used. Rwanda made the first African-made smartphone. You can, it's called the Mara phone. Looks like an Apple. Just like how we from China, Rwanda has their own brand. Um, and Uganda made the first commercial hybrid car that you can buy and drive. Um, so we really, our minds were blown by all this information and we're hoping when we package the game, people will get to see another side of Africa other than the story of Africa that we know, that the West always wanna focus, like the Western media always wants to focus on the poverty, the war, the deprivation. But what we wanted to present was a new narrative, a counter-narrative with the game to I say Africa is developing, is rapidly developing. There's innovation happening in Africa. 
there's music, movies, people are creating stuff, are making history. Um, so that's what we wanted to, to do with the game, to just um, have it be inter entertaining and educational. So we call it an edu edutaining game because you get to have fun as you play, but you get to learn a lot about Africa as well. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. And then go back to the book again that you touched upon as well. Yeah. Yes. So 14 African women that made history. Um, it's sort of just based on the research from the game, getting to know all this wonderful things that are happening, especially uh, for me as an African woman. I was impressed with all this strong, phenomenal women that are making change in the communities that are contributing to, de uh, to developing the, um, to transforming the communities. So I wanted to celebrate them because there was no book, no children's book that also highlighted these women as a collection. So I decided to identify 14. There were a lot. I mean, there's hundreds. I had a hundred, <laughs> hundred names, but at some, at some point I knew I couldn't write all those stories. I could make volume one, volume two. So I started with 14. Um, women that I know made history. That includes Wangari Matai, who won the Nobel Peace Prize. That also includes the first woman female president, Ellen, Ellen Johnson Salif of Liberia. She was the first president, female president in Africa, um, and she led Liberia for many years. Um, that included Winnie Mandela, who fought to free her husband, Nelson Mandela, because her story is always overshadowed by Nelson Mandela. But while he was in jail for 27 years, it was Winnie who worked hard to, um, to travel across the world to galvanize people for his, to, uh, to free him. Otherwise, if it wasn't for her activism, Mandela would have been um, forgotten. Right? Yep. Because he was in jail. Right. And she would not give up. She was out on the streets, governizing, uh, protesting. She herself got to jail. So she's, to me, a phenomenal woman. She's controversial. People have opinions about her. But I think she should be commended for the work that she did and be, be remembered as one of our sheroes. Yep. So that's one of the women that I included. Um, and there's several, many women, including young women, Lupita Ngongo, who's the first black African woman to win an Oscar. She made history. She's an artist. So I had to kind of also diversify. So I'm not just choosing one type of woman. I had to choose young women yes. and older women. I had to choose political activists and environmentalists and doctors and uh, artists, writers, um, Chimamanda, Adishin Gozi, isn't it? Um, she's a phenomenal writer, a well-known writer. So it, it was hard to choose, but I'm happy with the choices that I made. And I made this film, I mean, I made the, the book really for young people across the world. So they know that African women are movers and shakers too. Yes. They are transforming and changing their communities and their societies and they're changing the world. That's great. Congratulations on Thank that. You. Wow, that's sensational. 
Well, as we close, there's one thing about you that really strikes me, and it even strikes me more now that I've uh, had the opportunity to be taking a walk with you, and that's you're an amazing storyteller. Your ability to tell each story clearly and illustrate it and cinematically as well, obviously, uh, is astounding. Um, how were you first influenced as a storyteller from, from who and in what way, and how did it shape you? Oh, man. I, I grew up in a family of storytellers. First and foremost, my dad was a journalist. In his youth, he was a well-known journalist who traveled, who, uh, traveled with the first president of Botswana at the time. He was in his 20s. Um, and then after doing political co coverage in a government newspaper, he decided to actually um, get into politics. And he actually became a member of opposition. Um, and he was our, the first city mayor of Haboroni. Because before then, Haboroni was a town, and during my dad's tenure, tenure as a mayor, he, that transformed into a city, Haboroni now. This is our capital, the capital of Botswana. So he was mayor for 10 years. So I grew up with him just being in, and as a politician, he would go across the country and I would watch him give speeches. And he was a narrator, just like I watched um, Martin Luther King's speeches and all of that. People I've absolutely loved to listen to my father because he was funny. He was a, he was a comedian in a way because he would just make people laugh. Um, but make people see sense, but also in a, in a humorous way. So he, I grew up around him, and he used to just we'll, we'll sit around him and he'll tell stories. And then uh, my uncle was a playwright. He wrote a play, published a play that was used by schools in Botswana. It was called Literahalo. Um, and then my aunt also published a children's books in Botswana. So I grew up, it's in my, like storytelling. Storytelling is in my genes. I, I feel like it was natural that I decided to take this route also. Um, when I first started at Emerson, I was actually studying TV broadcasting. So essentially I was following in my father's footsteps but then I fell in love with like the fictional side because you know he's non-fiction. He was a journalist. He published books, um, but mostly in the non-fiction side. And well, I have to tell you, one of the beautiful things about taking a walk is conversation, is new conversation, meeting someone new, learning, and being inspired. And I'm coming away with all those feelings from meeting you on this walk here in Lower Mills. It's, uh, it's so wonderful. You have such an amazing uh, group of things going on. And I think the beautiful part about all this is how you're also uh, in the midst of it. You're impacting the next generation of creatives, uh, which uh, is, is amazing. But you're also uh, celebrating your country. Yes. And, and I, I think that's, that is, is beautiful in the full circle nature of things uh, as well. So 
I think I think you have a lot to be proud of, and I know um, you have many more things you're going to accomplish. Thank you. Thank you so much for this uh, invitation to take a walk and talk. I'm very grateful. I think we should stop over at the uh, at the Mexican uh, restaurant over there and uh, grab some tequila and do some workshopping. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yellow Dollar Taqueria is one of my favorite places. It's like two minutes away from my house. and um, I love this area. Um, exactly. It's beautiful here. It's really, I'm glad to uh, have found a new spot and made a new friend. And, and I wish you continued success. And I know you're going to have uh, even greater success than you've already had. So thank you for the time and thank you for taking a walk. <laughs> taking a walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.